Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox, where we discuss the tools we utilize every day. Yours to use or toss, it's up to you. But I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, Chad Sproles here with another fantastic episode of Tools for the Toolbox. I have a outstanding guest and I can't wait to get this started. So we'll just kick this off with uh, the way I always do. Who are you and what is your military background? Hey man, thanks for having me. So my name is, uh, my name is Seb Lavoie. Um, I've spent very little time in the military, uh, three years um, in the dark ages of the military around the, uh, you know, late 90s the decade uh, of darkness <laughs> from 97 um you know on until i left uh, the military to join the rcmp in 2001 and uh spent 20 years with the mounties 13 years or 12 years plus uh on the emergency on the on a full-time emergency response team here in the lower mainland i was a team leader for seven um, I finally was the chief warrant officer or the sergeant major for the division here in BC uh, from 2019 to 2021 in March when I finally retired from the force and uh, own a company called Raven Strategic. That's outstanding. I was just about to ask what you do now, but like, mm -hmm. what does Raven Strategic do? Yeah, so we, there's a there's a few different umbrellas. So there's one side that does the performance coaching, one-on-one -on -one Zoom sessions, you know, with people trying to go places where not many people succeed. And we work through mindset and, and how to apply, essentially operationalize their, their own skill set, their own mindset to make them and help them be successful. Sometimes it could be just a matter of bouncing ideas of somebody else, or you're not in this, you know, echo chamber where everything's just bouncing off in your own head, and yep. you're com you're coming back with the same um, return on investment, so to speak, uh, because that's what's going to happen. If you're brainstorming with yourself, you'll always get, you know, get back to the same, <laughs> and that's the that's the definition of insanity. So sometimes that's one of the aspects of the business. And then there's another aspect of the business, which is a training aspect, which is leadership. So I have a, a, a leadership program called the introspective leader, um, which, you know, essentially aims at returning accountability to leadership and people in positions of leadership, especially the people that have not received adequate training. Um, and in the policing world, this is, um, you know, uh, omnipresent. It's it's essentially everywhere. The plague, really, is what it is. Same, same in the army, man. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, all branches of military. It uh, <clears throat> leadership is definitely one of the hardest things, not only to teach but to exemplify. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you you know, you go the the way of Kansas, you have a completely different vibe from the traditional military, and and and. And, uh, and we know it's working and we know it's needed. So why are we not doing it everywhere else? And I, um, you know, it's, it's the same with us. So there's a, there's a real strong culture of accountability on the teams. And, um, and when I left to become the Sarge major and, and was exposed to all this other, you know, noise and garbage, I just couldn't believe, um, how this wasn't a thing for, you know, for everybody else. So yeah, so the company 
I have a, a course called the introspective leader. I have another course called Lead leading through critical circumstances and by nature, policing is critical circumstances. It's not just about the shooting and the, and the use of force and, and those types of things, but, um, but certainly just daily operation and, and, you know, having the ability to bring people back to work and send them back to work. They're not coming back to work and, 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 uh, oh, okay, we're good now. You know, the critical incident that you were going to see in your career is now done. Now you can move on. It's like, no, we're going to send him back to another one and another one and another one and how to give supervisors tools to put holes in the bucket where the water is filling up, you know, type deal so that they're, they're acting as pressure valve for the people that work, work for them. Uh, you know, if I was to make a, an analogy, and so, uh, and I also do custom combative programs because I was involved. This is a passion, really. I mean, I was involved in combatives for years and years. Uh, developed a combative program for the team. Uh, ran the combatives pro uh, program for many years on the teams as well. Now they've they've kind of you know gone full circle, and there's a nationally led program, and it's more organized than it ever was, and it's it's very good. But uh, I still go from hub to hub and hitting specialized units and helping them um, own their combative skills, so to speak. And if they have to create a custom combative program, depending on whatever op operational environment they're operating in, then I can I can certainly do that because I have that ability to transpose things. Um, I spent four and a half years on the air marshal section as well, which is a less known specialized unit of the RCMP, but is very well um, established and trained. So and commercials um, like flying place to place armed just in case shit happens. That is correct. I yeah. didn't even know we had a division for that. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's called the Canadian Air Carrier Protective Program. And you can find some pretty cheesy little videos online <laughs> about it. All the cheese you can you can you can want. Yeah. So now you've d that's quite a bit. And mm -hmm. like I'm uh, that must keep you extremely busy just in general. But you've been out for four or five months now, right? How was correct. the transition from Sergeant Major to civilian slash contractor slash whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, man, because I, um, I, I really, the job never defined me. And as much as I loved uh, the job, especially, especially on the teams, it, it, I never, I had, I always had a bunch of other things that defined me. So when I say it, it didn't define me, I mean, it didn't solely define me. It, it certainly defines, you know, part of who I was, but um, having all these other things that I love to do and passions and purposes um, allowed me to not feel like I've lost my identity, so to speak, right? Like I, I, when I left and what we do find is with members that stay in the force for 30 or 40 years and really being a police officer defines them um, it, it you know it doesn't take him long to be dead you know to be honest with you uh, as soon as 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 they realize or as soon as they come to the conclusion that their purpose is now served and that they don't feel they have anything to sort of um, you know hang on to and 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 it just they just kind of you know it paid the price I mean it's a, it's a massive sacrifice and um, and we we ought to, obviously we as organizationally we ought to do a better job in teaching people that there's all these other things that you should be invested in, 
and that ultimately will result in if you lose a leg or if you you know get shot or anything happens illness or whatever that prevents you from being a, a, an active police officer um, life goes on as as you and as you guys in the military know know all too well right yeah it's one of the biggest challenges is trying to figure out how to transition correctly but i think you're you're accurate in that the more stuff you have outside of the job the easier that transition is because you can just move your your vision off to one side the difficulty i think with the military i would assume with the uh the teams as well is like everything you do revolves around it so like when we were especially when we were dealing with afghanistan it was like your entire day was spent working on training planning for the next training cycle and then you're going home and you got to work out and then you gotta then you're going to bed early so you can get like it's it becomes the life every day is just more and more and more and more training um and then you you get out and you're just like oh well shit now what do i do <laughs> my whole life was being a soldier uh, yeah and it's compounded by the fact that you're actually the experience of you know of deploying itself up and i i'm, I'm not going to compare operational uh, parameters here in you know in country versus what you guys are experiencing there but the level of intensity is that is at a such a high level that you know you're, you're you're getting hit from two angles here that purpose that sense of purpose and that sense of of commitment and that sense of focus target focus is incredibly high as the stakes are incredibly higher then you you compound this with the fact that you're kept busy from a from a time standpoint and and, and now you cut all this off and it's like holy man yeah, it's 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 a really tough it's a really tough thing, but you know, uh, and I know I know you're 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 a jiu-jitsu guy, right? Yeah. So for me, I mean, you know, in terms of the battle and in terms of the of the fight, because I, I always had that in me, and that's something that at 45 years old isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And for me to hit the mats and really go to battle from a metaphorical standpoint. Uh, really, really helped that warrior side of me, you know, and, and pe people ask all the time, like, how do you, if you don't have anything to, to pressure, uh, a pressure valve to, to, to get rid of some of that combative energy, uh, good luck, yeah. right? Like it's, it's tough. It yeah. comes out somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes out and being argumentative or being hard to sure. handle or hot-headed or whatever, right? And I you know one of the things I realized was was it a transition in general. So a transition from the military, transition to a new job, transition to a new lifestyle, whatever it is, is actually very similar to the journey of jujitsu. And in the beginning, if you're if you don't really have good guidance, you're a white belt. You're splaying all over the place, and you're just like leaping from sides. You have no real direction. You have no plan. You have no set of circumstances that you need to follow. And I mean, I'm I'm a four stripe white belt, so like, don't take mm -hmm. seriously. <laughs> I'm no. not like hugely into this, but the um, once you hit blue belt or kind of where I'm at right now, I can see things. I can feel the difference of movements and I can like flow with the, with the partners rather than trying to power through something or trying to throw somebody off of me or use that strength rather than just, okay, well now we're over here. Oh, okay. Now we're over here and I'll, I'll just put my leg in here and you can find those little holes and those little um, spaces that allow you to move your plan forward.
and in transition from the military, I mean, one of the things I get uh, told continually is like, have a plan. Don't have like a super rigid, this is the way everything has to happen kind of plan, but just like, I want to do X. Okay, well, and I need to go to school. Start there, right? And uh, I ask this of everybody, but if you could go back, say, six months, <laughs> talk to yourself, what would be a point that you would have on your own transition? Where, where What would be something that you could have done better or um, made easier for yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, everything you've said there was extremely accurate. In fact, I just like to go back for a sec on yeah, one of the absolutely. things you said. But when when you made that correlation with jujitsu, I mean, what we're talking about here really is the stages of competence, right? So you're your white belt where you're you don't know what you don't know, right? And then you get to your blue belt where you start to know what you don't know, and you realize there's a big world around there. And you get into the purple stage where you have a certain degree of competence. You're, you 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 know that you are you, you are to a certain extent competent. Then you go to the the brown belt where you're unknowingly competent in your everyday actions. So you're doing things organically because they feel right. And then you share your competence as a black belt, right? And so those are kind of the and, and that's why the analogy is so um, uh, on point. But I tell you what, when, when it comes from uh, coming out from a very structured environment, which the military is, whether or not it, it, the structure always makes sense, that's for another conversation, but there is some structure and there is some self-imposed structure and there is a reason why there are check sheets and things. It's so, it's so that things don't fall through the cracks and people um, resulting in people losing their lives, you know, on the higher end of the spectrum and for blunders, operational blunders on the lower end of the spectrum, um, and so one of the things for a guy that spent, I would say, most of his adult life uh, institutionalized, for lack of a better term, because that's exactly what it is, um, having the ability to realize that time is our biggest currency. Time is our biggest currency. And exchanging it for $40, you're never getting that time back. You're never getting that back. How much is your life worth? Right. And so one of the things that I had to relearn was that in business, time isn't always uh, correlated directly to success. In fact, you could spend 500 hours working a project and go nowhere. You could you could have, a, a, you know, a flash of, of inspiration and create something that does really well in, in a five minute time span. So one of the things that drove me crazy initially when I retired was every hour that I didn't that I knew I wasn't getting paid for, I was beating myself up and, and, and going, going into the hole, you know, um, you should be doing something right now, even though you, you, you don't feel like writing or you don't feel like creating or you don't, you're not in a creative mood, which is necessary if you're going to create anything of any substance. Um, and so, you know, having the ability to say, hey, man, Today, I'm not in a writing mood. I, I'm not writing this book because I, I can't put two words together. I can't speak two words together. So I'm not going on any podcast. I'm not uh, attempting this, the creation of this or that project because I'm not, I'm not there. And tomorrow, attacking it with a vengeance type deal and cutting yourself a bit of slack there. The other thing that I would say was, was critical uh, for me that I wish I knew is that as much of an enabler as I was as a leader, in the organization, 
I was very, very used to dealing with either organizational or physical harm risk, right? And so when you have those two types of risk where the consequences are dire, you tend to become a disabler in the business world. And the reason behind that is that you assess everything from the lens of somebody that's done risk assessment. So if it's not likely to work, then it, it definitely shouldn't be done, which isn't the case in business. What business is, is to throw noodles all over the wall until one sticks, right? And so, and the consequences of failing in the business world are not as dire as the consequences of failing in, in, in the military or in the police world. So you kind of have to realize, and I had to realize that I was being the disabler of my own business. You know, I have a really good friend who's, who's an excellent business person and uh, he's making, you know, a ton of money. He's very successful. Aside from the money, he's, 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 it's meaningful and he's helping others and, you know, just a great guy. And he, was, he would throw all kinds of ideas at me. You should try this and this and this. And I was like, come on, man, that's completely insane. And then, and then I started realizing, like, look, what happens if whatever insanity throws my way, I try and it doesn't work? I know nothing. Nothing happens. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't work, right? So having, having the ability to realize that the consequences attached to failure in the business world are generally not as dire as what we are used to. Absolutely. Yeah, I... Mm -hmm. uh... <clears throat> I, there's a couple of things that I wanted to point on that was uh, one of the, early on in my life, I spent a lot of time on my family's ranch and uh, the people that I grew up with, the men that I grew up with, I watched them work all the time. And the people that they looked down upon or that they would not want to kind of hang out with, not want to deal with, were people that couldn't work or didn't work or didn't provide for whatever they thought it was necessary. And I realized this took me a very long time. I actually only realized this a couple of years ago was that I placed a huge amount of value to myself on how much work I was capable of doing. And so when I, you know, I have a bad back and I can't work and I'm laying on the couch and I'm just like, that's it, right? I can barely make it to the bathroom and back. Then I feel useless. I feel horrible. I feel like a piece of shit. And you know, your mind starts laying into yourself. And you're like, "Fuck this guy! What you should be standing up. It's not that bad." But it is. And uh, I realized over time is that as you said you give yourself a, that little bit of just that little bit of slack, right? You're not saying I'm not going to write forever. You just say, "Okay, today's not going to work." <laughs> okay, today's just not going to work. And I mean, we had to do that all the time in the military. I'm sure you had to do it in the teams is you look at your initial plan, right? If I was to go do a recce or something like that, I want to do a breach recce and I'm looking at the door. I'm like, yeah, that looks like a type two wood door. I should only be able to use blah, 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 blah. And then you go to a different angle and you're like, oh shit. No, that's like a, that's like a type two steel. No, oh, I don't have enough. We're going to have to go with like, and it changes your plan completely. Or you say, fuck, I don't have enough, uh, I don't have enough explosives on me to breach through this door or it's not going to be safe or whatever it is. And you have to just say, okay, the breach isn't going to work. We got to go through a different way. Mm -hmm. Hit a window or hit a friggin', uh, go through the ceiling, whatever you have to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's that realization where you go, oh, right. 
it's like it if it doesn't work it's okay <laughs> there are other yeah. things you can do yeah man uh, yeah no sorry go ahead um and i was just gonna say the uh the second part of that was once you realize that once you actually and then give yourself the grace to say okay you know what you know take a day take an hour check again or um one of the big words i like to use is to pivot so you never actually give up on a plan. You never actually say, I'm not going to write today. You just go, not working right now. Let me see what happens in a couple hours, right? So you're just changing directions. And we used to have to do this for mine clearance all the time, right? If I'm clearing a lane and all of a sudden I find a mine, I don't just say, well, this lane is shut down, boys. We're not doing this. <laughs> Cut it. You know, you turn, you pivot and you go around it and you carry on and you just mark your way as you go. Um, it's just such a an effective thing that I think we don't get taught enough throughout any of the training, throughout anything else. Is we're always taught adapt and overcome, but no one ever says just pivot, like <laughs> just turn, turn that way. It's not about sometimes it's not about overcoming the obstacle. Sometimes it's just about going around it. Hundred percent. I mean, who who was it, Patton, that said? Uh the person who flanks first wins i mean ultimately is is you know it, and i had guys like this on the team like really good guys that would you know say go head to head with everybody outside of our circle and try but you couldn't get anything done in terms of building the relationship that was required to do certain things just because they had this bull in a china shop approach and despite their 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 qualifications which were you know extensive and they weren't by all by any means um you know milking their qualifications but ultimately they had some credibility based on their demonstrated competence over time but they would be their 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 you know creating their own issues by going head to head it's like hey man how about this try a little flank here right and see if you can if you can achieve the same thing from a different from a different perspective and you're absolutely right about the breaching point and there's reasons why there are alternative breaching points there's there's reasons why we have different breaching methods you know is so we can so we can build in those contingencies um ultimately right and so yeah we don't do that enough and, and it's interesting because you know we we build contingencies operationally we move on to our lives we don't really have them you know and and actually it's not that we don't know they sh that they should be there is we do know that they should be there but we just don't necessarily either know how to make them up happen or 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 we're just thinking that we should be doing certain things a certain way and for you growing up as a boy having this exemplification of what things should be becomes now hardwired into into you and it creates essentially an emotional response to some of the behaviors that you have so yourself you know assassinating yeah it's pretty bad the the it took once i actually like connected it and i was like oh that's why i feel like such a piece of shit right now then i was like oh well you know okay if i take a day i take a day right and, and i also realized through my work with mental health and advocacy and all these other things was that <clears throat> by giving yourself that day, you'll do better tomorrow, right? By by taking the time to heal, by taking the time to say, oh, okay, rest, right? We all know now how important rest is, but you think like 15, 20 years ago, it was like drive, 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 right? No one, you just sleep when you need to sleep. Otherwise, fuck it, just carry on, right? And nowadays where everyone's like, okay, well, like 
sleep is a good thing. Sleep is important. You need it for your recovery. And then it uh, slowly builds you up from there. And I, uh, I did not realize that for many years. So when I was in the military and I was, you know, my shoulder or my knee or something was not feeling right. And I was just like, fuck it, let's run anyway. And I would just run through the pain because that was just the way you did things, right? Rather than going to the MIR going, you know, my knee is still acting up. I need to go talk to somebody and get it healed up properly so that I could run better. And now I can't run <laughs> like my, my back and my knees mm -hmm. are fucked. But uh, I can't say I can't run. I, I have trouble running for very long. Let's put it that way <laughs> instead of being able to run, you know, the distances I used to. Um, so the thing that I really wanted to get into today that we really wanted to talk about was policing as a whole. And some of the things, some of the corollaries between policing and military, stuff like that. And one of the issues I always had with the military side of things was the pipeline, the training pipeline and the, the PR surrounding it. So I heard this statistic a while back um, that the U.S. Marines have the lowest budget for uh, recruiting, but they have the highest number of recruits coming in out of all of the services. And I think it has to do with the fact just the way they're actually recruiting. And it's not so much a, hey, there's a job for everybody here. It's a, are you good enough? Like, <laughs> like reverse psychology. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you're challenging the people to be better rather than, yeah, sure, come on in. Everyone's good to go. And I think in the RCF especially, man, it, there's the recruiting videos and the recruiting stations are not... They don't bulk entry in any way other than by paperwork, but uh, unfortunately, there are some people in the military that should not be there, right? And I'm sure it's similar in policing and stuff like that. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, we know how critical gatekeeping entry to any services is, is you know, is. Um, and, and I understand the issues, the broader issues. So the issues of having the inability to fill the positions based on numbers alone and based on lack of volume and based on, on, on being able to process so many through and do so in a way that does, doesn't endanger the people that are actually working. But here's kind of how I look at it. There's, you have your numerical, so you have your numbers that you need to fill, but you also have the, the concept of synergy, which is, for some people, a very um, nebulous concept. And a lot of people think, oh, this is like mindfulness or whatever. No, but what synergy is, is essentially, if you and I, if you, if I send you to dig a trench and you dig that trench in an hour and I come and you and I connect as workers together and as individual individuals, and we are digging together, common sense would be that it's going to take us half the time. But the reality is it can take us up to three times less, right? And inver the inverse scenario, the, the opposite scenario is also true. So you can take somebody that takes an hour to dig the trench. You put them with somebody that they don't, don't gel with, that they're arguing with, that they're not training, that, you know, that, that, that is counterproductive. And, and, and what you end up having is two people now took three times longer to dig the hole, right? So ultimately, what, what there's, there's, there's a split the difference here where we understand the challenges or we need to understand the challenges of the numer numerical game. We also need to understand that if we have the right people, this will be a force multiplier, 
right? So, so it's, it's, it's bridging that gap. Because if, you, if you're filling the numbers with the wrong people, you're taking a hit on the, on the synergy side of the house. And once this starts to happen, everything just falls way down, you know, in, in, a, in a substandard um, service delivery, basically. And it's and it's it's no different in policing or the military, um, and 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 the soft community has done a great job here in the in the states or in other countries to understand these factors and 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 manipulate the way they you know their entry pipeline is still controlled despite you know uh, pressures political pressures and otherwise. Yeah, it's a it's a very hard topic to talk to say because you're right like it, it's a it you, you got to play the plus minus game right like we do need people we, we have to have people in the positions and there were times where like even overseas where someone had put another soldier in danger um just on the fact that they didn't want to carry something right like to me, that doesn't even compute, right? I would just be like, I don't know how I would ever do that, but it still happens. And it's it's challenging when you're inside and you've given them, one of the experiences I had, so when I was on my QL3 course doing my trades training in Gagetown, there was a point where I was looking around and I'm like, I am giving everything I got here. I am pushing myself to the limit every day. I'm doing all this. And I look around and I see people kind of half-assing it how does how do i keep my uh my buy-in how do i for lack of a better word how do i keep that while i'm watching people just fucking slough off and not work as hard as i am blah 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 blah, blah. and I've, i have yet to come up with an answer for that one but, but the uh it comes to like you know personal pride and your own discipline and all these other things right and trying to make sure that you're you're solid <clears throat> but it, it it erodes that synergy Right when you're watching other people not do their job <laughs> and still get by, we had a person on my course that I think they passed one test, one out of four months worth of training. Like <laughs> there were a lot of tests, still made it through, went to the unit, was a bag of shit, and eventually got pushed out. Right, but why are we even spending three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars training them? just to throw them out afterwards or just to have them fill a spot for three years. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, <clears throat> do you have any tips or tricks for people that are uh, feeling that kind of uh, kind of a bite? Yeah, well, there's there's kind of two things here. There's there's this, you know, the marking your word, your work with excellence, which is what it, what it is that seemingly you're trying to do. And I don't think that if I gave you the opportunity to be any less of the worker that you were, you wouldn't be that because that's just not you, mm-hmm. right? And I'm the same way. I, I try to, I try to, I'm not trying to change the world, but I don't let the world change me. I'm a hard worker. I want to mark my work with excellence. I want to, I want to um, just look at it myself, notwithstanding anybody around and who's judging me or what. But I want to be able to look at it myself and say, I've given absolutely everything I had there. The fact that somebody else didn't is completely irrelevant to me. So I made peace with this a long time ago. The issue, the secondary issue is the issue of leadership, period. Because how does that even happen? How does a person successfully complete a course that has so many benchmarks and somehow miraculously makes it through? 
right? And so now, if you're, if you're looking, there's something in the tactical operation world called the priorities of life. And it basically, when you're about to make a decision, you have to line up the priorities. Who's, who's at risk here and who are we balancing against who? And how is this impacting the operation or operational capacity or the things that we're going to do? And it never fails you. And so if you're prioritizing the numerical, the numerical game, you're, you're therefore relegating to second place or third place the operational safety of your unit members. And that should never, ever, ever be a thing unless the mission, um, you know, unless the mission requires that for the purpose of the greater good or the collective. And this isn't an operational deployment here that we're talking about where you're accepting known risk or risk of physical harm on account of, you know, getting something done that's way more critical than just your individual people or operators or whatever the case may be. And so, and so, again, having that leadership and that accountability along the journey of the military or in, in policing is critical because these people that are not being held accountable will be your leaders that also are not being held accountable and not holding anybody else accountable for anything, right? Or, or they will take the complete opposite and they will essentially want people to be everything that they were not. And they will ask unreasonable ask or unreasonable, you know, uh, uh, standards. And uh, those are the clowns that should have never been there in the first place. And now you're out there telling everybody how they should be and, and all these other things. So either way, it's a, it's a failing recipe. There's no, there's no other ways about it. But in terms of, you know, just negotiating, you, you, there's a sphere of influence. And that sphere of influence is you. If it, if it's, if I'm in direct control of it, I will care about it so I can control how I work and how I uh, organize my, my thoughts and how I formulate my plans and how I do all those things within my span of control. So I will spend a lot of energy on there. If it's, if I can influence it somehow or some somewhat, I may try to do that. If it fails, I'm not sure I'm going to continue to pursue that avenue. And certainly I'm not going to over uh, emotionally over invest in the things I have zero control over. Yeah. And if you look historically and empirically in both the military and police, whatever people doing, they're emotionally over invested in absolutely everything. Management this, management that, you know, Ottawa this, Ottawa that, this unit this, this unit that, the CO this and that. There's always something, right? So you're either dealing with the disabler, the deflector, or the egomaniac, you know, but we're just doing it over and over and over again. So one of the things to, to, to realize is that, again, with the analogy of the bucket, every single administrative stress, every single um, nonsense, every single operational stress goes into that bucket and eventually it will overflow. But if you're responsible for your own taking a scoop and taking a, you know, some water out of the bucket so that you can lower the level of water, you're going to be able to add water in there and it'll take longer before it overflows. So it's critically important that we do not um, emotionally overinvest, and that's just a matter of keeping ourselves in check. Yeah, that makes sense. I use the term psychological capital. It's 100%. something that you you know you can spend, you can invest it, you can waste it, you can do whatever, right? But it's it's buildable over time, and I think this is <clears throat> slowly. I hope this happens eventually. I, I'm not really seeing it, but <laughs> I hope this happens. Is through the evolution of leadership, right? Like 
as leadership is more, uh, I guess, more defined, like I'm a big fan of Jocko Willink and I love uh, the extreme ownership books and those are wicked books and they help me a lot. Um, and the challenge that I always had was watching other people not utilize the skill sets that are there. Like, like they're just, they're there and you can use them. But over time, I think, as you said, the evolution is to have more and more people just taking a little bit of spoonfuls out of the bucket right? and slowly building that up. How do you see in the RCMP, I got a cousin who's in the RCMP as well, and uh, leadership is not the, the easiest thing to deal with. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, how do you see the evolution in, in the leadership and policing happen? Yeah, well, there's, again, there's kind of, there's two angles to this, right? The, the first one is you are absolutely correct that the, we're at a time now in space and time where there, there are more resources out there and less excuses to not be a good leader because you can actually learn from empirical experience of people that have been in those dire consequences environments that have made calls and have paid for them. And we can learn from their example. We can learn from their experience and do all this good stuff. There's the audio books. You don't even need to read anymore. You can listen to them. The podcasts that are four hours long that deal with stuff that are being taught over weeks at Harvard, you know, those types of things. And I think what you're seeing now is, you know, a true, uh, like a, there is a movement right now where a lot of people are jumping on board. And the more that happens, the less it will be popular would not be a good leader because if you hit if you're having a conversation with seven of your peers and four of them have read extreme ownership and you're the one that hasn't it's going to be really apparent and you're going to get called out and you're going to and it will make it unpopular to not be at the same level as everybody else whereas empirically and historically what's happened is it wouldn't matter because nobody had those deep you know um introspective conversation about leadership or what they were at it was just like well i'm in position so i must be i must have done something right uh, and and this is called uh, is, uh, essentially this is called outcome bias where you've been lucky your entire career and you think somehow it has anything to do with you um, you know, it has nothing to do with you. you. You were lucky. And you may be somebody that has some very natural leadership abilities. And if you are, you are one of very few that have that and that dialed in. And with that doesn't change the fact that you should be looking at getting better anyways. Yeah. Right. And so I think you're going to see a natural transformation. I think this is a transformational time in terms of uh, the concept of leadership itself and how it's defined and how it's acquired and all these other things. And the more we see that, the better it is. So we need to be, you know, pushing this on platforms such as yours and courses such, such as mine and all these other things so that we bring some of that back. That in fact, establish it for the first time, really, because it's really never, never has been a thing. Um, and so, yes. That's that's absolutely accurate. And one of the things I've noticed over time is there's more discussion on it, right? It used to be like you would see, you know, if you think about the books that kind of talk about leadership prior to the war, the global war on terror, it's they're few and far between. And it's usually from like a very strategic level, mm -hmm. high echelon generals talking about this and that and the other thing, or like uh, Machiavelli writing the Prince. Like there are, there was nothing really ground level. Hey, I was on the ground. This is what I did. This is how it worked. And this is why leadership matters, right? Like, 
<laughs> few and far between. I mean, uh, there were some like uh, about face was uh, again, but you have to like draw the leadership uh, lessons out of it rather than mm -hmm. being here. It is written down for you. Boom, 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 boom. And one of the things that I uh, can't say struggled with, but uh, has challenged me over time is passing on the knowledge. So I have taken a lot of time to be introspective and really think about new ways to you to teach old knowledge, right? Because these leadership things are not new, right? <laughs> like all of these skill sets we've known for years and have been written about uh, in different ways. But how do we take that old knowledge and pass it on to the new generation? How does we connect that to? And I've realized over years of like uh, doing advocacy work and stuff was when guys would call me and they'd be in a really rough spot and be like, oh man, you know, fucking, I'm really down, I'm depressed, I don't have work, I don't have blah, blah, blah. And I would say, okay, well, what have you done? And I would figure out what, who they are and what, and how do I can talk to them. So if it was an airborne guy, I would start talking about jump terminology, right? Okay, have you done your equipment check? Do you have all your stuff ready? Have you done, have you seen, a, like, are you waiting? Are you standing up? Are you hooked up? Or there's a light on, blah, 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 right, right? But if I was talking to a, like a, an armored guy, I would be like, okay, well, have you started the engine yet? Or have you, and so I've tried to utilize uh, what people do and put them together and be like, okay, think of uh, your next bound as a section attack. If you, you don't do a section attack by yourself, right? The moment you have contact, you start calling out orders and people start doing stuff. You have to do the same thing in life. If you want to go to school, okay, well, contact the school. <laughs> Find out what it costs to get your thing in. Call the VA, see what they'll cover, and start utilizing those skill sets that you have and the, the, uh, the tools that are available to you, especially nowadays because there are tons that you can utilize to be able to move forward. But what, what do you do to pass on knowledge? Because, like, we all have our own different little skill sets, right? So <laughs> how is it that you get the new generation or even the old generation to see the new information or older. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what you're utilizing there is essentially um, relatability, right? And it's really, really difficult for anybody to teach anything uh, to a acceptable level to anyone that doesn't relate to you as a person or operationally or otherwise. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, uh, it, it's difficult to teach, you know, uh, soft guys about certain tactics in this if you weren't soft yeah. right if you have never and it's no different in combatives and all these other things and it's and it there's it's sensical there's reason why that is and uh, and 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 that's good there's a there's the competence is grounded in established credibility here based on that person actually as knows what it feels like to be in those certain environments. So I think that's a great strategy. I think for us, one of the things that we, we need to be lo looking at is what is the current generation learning from, right? And so we know that the current generation is the generation of the electronics, right? It's the podcast, it's the, it's the, it's the audio books, it's the, and so, First and foremost, before the message actually goes anywhere, make sure that you have an established credibility in the field of whatever it is that you're undertaking, right? And then second, once you have that, then go ahead and hit those platforms that are actually connecting with the people that your target audience, 
and and once once you have that they will help navigate your next steps like where else can i go with this and how would this be valuable and how and here's another thing that i do on the daily there is endless um, ways to impact people's lives positively with the messaging that you have but we think that we need to be having that conversation to have that message we're not we don't we're necessarily not um, sort of we don't have to be discussing a certain subject for an inject a valuable inject from that subject to sneak it to sneak its way in you know whether it's me teaching a jiu-jitsu class and making a correlation with something that's grounded in leadership or or accountability or whatever the case may be um, i've taken an opportunity to provide some of the information that i have which is critical and can help others in the collective in a format and in a in a venue where people were already receptive to the things that i was saying i just used a different opportunity to to, to have the message spread yep. so you know humans live in boxes like we live in boxes and and it's really really difficult for us to get out of boxes and 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 to to really take a step back look outside the box say there's other ways to do things here and we are not maximizing uh, our, our output by essentially pigeon pigeonholing ourselves into certain ways of doing things so i don't uh, you know from my perspective, I don't miss a single opportunity to reinforce a leadership principle, a, 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 an ownership principle, or an accountability principle every day in whatever conversations I'm having with regardless of who it is, you know? And, 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 and it's not going to be a, a personal attack on the person, or it's not going to be a, see what you just did there was blah, blah, blah. It's more of a flank where we're having a general conversation and I, I, I will use um, tact and strategy to have that conversation and have them wear the hat because it fits them rather than me telling them that the hat, you know, is, is, is suited for them, so to speak. So that's kind of how I think we can, and of course, the courses and all the things that we would love to have that cost a lot of money that are very difficult to to sell but eventually will start selling themselves as more and more of these people are exposed to the various principles and they're going up in the rank structure you're you're going to see i think you know for i know for us in policing in the next 10 to 15 years we are going to see an incredible change leadership wise because a lot of those corporals and sergeants and staffs currently are buy-in to all of this so these guys are going to go make their way up the chain and we're going to have much better success having buy-in um in terms of in terms of uh continuity so yeah no that's perfect you know one of the things i noticed about the military was after afghanistan a lot of us left right <laughs> we were just like okay the fight's over um i don't really want to deal with the the bs of the regiment anymore screw this noise and we all left and so now i think we're seeing the result of that because there's a lot of uh, leadership issues going on at the higher echelons and there's no one left to kind of hold the fort and be like you know the, and and hold the standard um one of the things you mentioned there was i it clicked a little thing in my head was uh, when we were breaching one of the reasons i loved breaching so much was because it was 
not only was it explosive, but it was like precision explosions. Right? It's not about blowing the fucking house down, which don't be wrong. Good times. <laughs> that's, that's still fun. But it's about what what is the desired result, right? It's not about can I get through the door because I can get through the door. It doesn't matter. That's not a question. How do I want the door to end up, right? Do I want to use a water charge and have that thing bounce around on the inside of the room 16 times and cause all kinds of casualties? Or do I want to just pound those hinges off and let it fall on its own? And I think that's what you were saying with um, utilizing uh, what you're doing to teach a lesson, right? If you're in jujitsu and you're like, well, this actually applies to leadership as well, or this actually applies to your everyday life and et cetera, et cetera. You're, you're thinking about the, uh, the result, right? You want people to go, Oh, leadership. Yes. That makes perfect sense. But just using jujitsu, right? I want to get into a door. I want to get into a window, but I don't want to hurt anybody inside then that's going to change my my tactic and my outlook and how much force I'm going to use putting that window in or putting that door in or whatever. And uh, I just, yeah, I, I was thinking it was just so perfect because we were talking about breaching earlier. <laughs> yeah, man. Spent five years doing the thing, so I love I love it. We could get sucked into breaching. Uh... <laughs> oh, boy, we ever... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge breaching nerd. I actually mm -hmm. tried to get a breaching cell set up in my unit, I talked to the Edmonton ERT, tried to get some cross training with them, and uh, it got kiboshed by my chain of command. They were like, we're not spending that kind of money. I don't think. Ah. Of but, course they don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now, the, the one of the last things I always ask people is, you know, what are, what's one of the biggest lessons you learned over your time in? So one of the guys I know uh, I had on, uh, John Watson, we were talking about um, lessons from the river because it does a lot of canoeing and uh, whitewater rafting and all that kind of stuff. What are what's do you think the biggest lesson you learned from the street was? Because I mean, you spent a lot of time doing the job. What was the what was the thing that stands out the most for you? Wow, that's a <laughs> big that's question. a yeah, yeah, that's a solid question. I'm going to pause you here and come back in an hour. Um, <laughs> You know, I think, not to be that guy, but I think to even answer one thing would be a gross disservice to a variety of different things, just because there isn't going to be any depth to that answer, right? Because ultimately, it really depends. It, what are we talking about contextually, right? Like, what in what context? Because I grabbed, I, you know, I, I retained and, and acquired incredible lessons at various levels. And, and, and but depending on context... I will tap into and be able to say, this is what I learned here. This is what I learned, you know, here. Mm -hmm. So what are we, you know, if we were to put a little bit of a flame around that, what kind of context, what are you looking at? Like, if I look at my, my 20 years of policing, and what have I learned from 20 years in policing? That's, you know, because that's, that's a massive undertaking. But um, yeah, just... I don't know if we can so frame it a bit different. Let's talk uh, lessons for life. Mm -hmm. if, if the, like how to, the thing that, um, that I really, I, I just, again, try to find corollaries for other people that they can really pull from is, you know, if you, as I said earlier, when I was like, if you had one thing to tell yourself six months ago when you started, if you could go back to when you first joined the force, 
right? And how would you make your life easier through those 20 years of policing that you learned from being in 20 years of policing? Something that you would pass on to like brand new recruits if you had to go and speak and you had a five minute speech, all right, here we go, pass on all your information, all your knowledge. What would you tell yourself as a new recruit? Yeah, um, I, you know, as it as it applies specifically to policing, and and I have to look at it in terms of consequences, and and what are some of the harsher slash dire consequences that we you know can have uh, in a career in policing, and and I think one of the most critical tool is understanding uh, what we've spoken about earlier, which is emotional overinvestment. And there's a difference between having compassions and, and, you know, compassion and empathy. And those are critical tools that you need to have as a police officer. And if you don't, you probably shouldn't be there in the first place. And, and that's, uh, you know, in my opinion, a non-arguable point. It's, it's just, if you don't have those things, you're essentially a sociopath. And the last thing we need is somebody walking around, uh, you know, with a gun and some powers and, and be a sociopath. Basically so, Exactly, exactly. So, so I would say, I would say, um, having compassion and empathy is, is, is our critically important skills, understanding that, you know, the family you find in the car isn't yours, that the bad guy that shoots at you doesn't care about you, you, you know, he cares about the flags that you have on your shoulder, and you're representing something that's much larger than just you. And not to take those things personally, problem solve, those issues the way you should but there's nothing personal about it mm -hmm. and and this is not an attack on who you are as an individual and uh and i think you know it's the same with being yelled at and having to defund the police movement and all these other uh spur of the moment things that seem to make a lot of sense at the time and six months later you're looking at a 500 percent increase in murder rates and yeah and uh, of course, nobody's out there openly acknowledging that. But uh, but I think having that conversation with young members to say, or young police officers or young military personnel to say, uh, control, you know, worry about the things that are within your span of control. Be somewhat concerned about the things that you have influence over and, and try not to over, try not to invest in the things that you have no control over. If somebody decides that the military units or the police force is wearing pink, you know, starting in six months, I couldn't give a shit because I actually can't, I can't do anything against that. And, and no matter how much I, 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 you know, bitch and whine and snivel. And so one of the things that was brought up to me recently when I was having this conversation is if people that don't have a sense of, uh, uh, the ability to do something about something never did something about it, we would never be where we are in space and time. So my response to this is, well, that's a different scenario because you have taken something that you had no control over whatsoever and you've actioned things that made you have a degree of control over it. You started exerting your influence until it became something that you actually have control over once you've established your voice. And now you're actually able to action that. So those are different things. It's not to say don't don't pick up the big fight and don't do these other things. We're talking about daily, minimal 
things that are nagging at you consistently that you have no control over. You're not going to change that today. You're not going to, you know, leadership and all these other things. Like how long is it going to take to change the calf's leadership? Yeah. And not that all leaders are bad anyways, but if they were, how, how, how long is that going to take? And your career will be long gone and you and I will be in a box by the time they have a semblance of, of meaning, meaningful change. And so, yeah, it, it yeah. That's a great lesson, actually, because I mean, it's when it when it really comes down to the brass tacks. I mean, I heard this from met a lot of special forces guys was like <clears throat> the whole beard thing that, you know, as a reg force guy, you're like, oh, why can't we have beards? And the, I mean, we can now, but, but that's besides the point. But the um, for years we were complaining about not being able to have beards because special forces guys can have them. And the guys, the special forces guys, they're like, I don't fucking give a shit, man. Like you tell me to shave, I'll shave. You tell me to grow a beard, I'll grow a beard. You tell me to cut my hair, I'll cut my hair. Like it, it's not a, it's not a point of contention for them because they, it doesn't matter, right? It's such a minimal thing that you, I have to shave every day. Oh, geez, right? Hard life. Uh, whereas in the reg force, <laughs> there's only there's two things that army guys will complain about, right? The way things are, and the way change. things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so. You're absolutely right. And being able to take you know, look at something objectively and say, you know what, that's not about me and being OK with that. I mean, when we were in Afghanistan, people were actively trying to kill me, but they weren't trying to kill me. They're trying to kill the engineer because that's a force multiplier for everybody around them. It just feels like they're trying to kill me because they are trying to kill me. <laughs> but, but it's that it's the same mindset of. I can't change the fact that they're trying to kill me. So I just have to step up my game to make sure that uh, they don't. Right. And, or they don't kill any of my guys or anything like that. And just the, uh, the mindset shift to go, not about me. Right. That is a huge leap forward in any type of leadership, mental health, physical health, anything. Because I mean, even if you, if I let myself get fat, Right. That's that's on me and I need to work out and I need to, to uh, do better and make better choices in life. But the gym doesn't give a shit. <laughs> the weights don't give a shit. The fact that it's hard for me doesn't matter to inanimate objects. That's just the shit you have to do. So if you take your your own ego out of the question, then you're good to go. You just carry on. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a important thing <laughs> to be able to learn. And if you can learn it early, fucking bonus. Um, so we've been rolling for a little bit over an hour here. Do you have any final points, anything, any last words you want to pass on? No, not really. I guess, I guess since you're, well, I mean, I, I should say, I shouldn't say no and say yes. You know, the guy in the debrief that always does that's so annoying. No, I got nothing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. One thing. <laughs> and, and, and you have the other guy that always wants to reiterate what somebody else has said. Yeah. Um, just what I, you know probably take the opportunity to say like thank you to all the service people because your your audience is mostly service people and um and you know there's an incredible incredible amount of sacrifices going into serving and it's not about the ultimate sacrifice uh, all the time it's about all the little things that people just don't know about and don't understand and it's about the constant exposure and it's about the getting up and the doing the thing on the daily and it's you know and it, and it's about the families being left behind and it's about missing the holidays and all these other things and i think we we tend to, uh, to put a lot of emphasis on the sacrifices when they're ultimate mm -hmm. 
but we we tend to sort of discount or not communicate or not speak to and i think part of that has to do with the the the, the military personnel themselves not wanting to take sort of the, the the limelight away from those that have made the ultimate sacrifice and i totally understand that but i think it's critical to understand that it, it is a really really hard field to be in it is absolutely necessary it takes an incredible amount of stones and that goes applies to both you know both genders and uh and and i you know thank you very much for doing that on the daily i, I really appreciate it so well it's my pleasure i had a blast doing it man i, <laughs> I literally got paid to blow shit up like hard life right Let me... doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that no it really doesn't mm -hmm. um so if anybody wanted to follow you social media wise or get in touch with you for uh consulting services or anything like that what how would they do that yeah so i have sort of my primary platform well i have two primary primary platforms so my um my personal instagram is at Slav cobra commander so it's basically s l a v DCMDR, and I'm sure you can obviously put that in the description. So Slav Cobra Commander, um, and my my other one is at Raven Strategic. Uh, that's my business on the business end of things, and I also have an email which is R and the number eight V E N, so Raven Strategic at gmail.com. If there's any need to send an email, that's the way to do it. Or you can go straight to Instagram. I will reiterate my email address and we can go from there. But uh, yeah, Instagram is probably the fastest and easiest uh, way to get me since I seem to spend endless hours looking at it. <laughs> scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah, I'm, I'm so bad. I, I go the, the same, same route there. All right. Well, First off, I just want to, I can't thank you enough, brother. Like it, it has been great chatting with you. And I really appreciate your patience with all the technical issues we were having earlier. Um, and hopefully one of these days I can, uh, we can actually link up and maybe go blow something up because that would be fucking awesome. I mean, if you're ever local here uh, in the Vancouver area and you want to hit up the team for uh, some, one of the breaching days, I can organize that. So that's no issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think I might just make a trip out to Vancouver. Just for, <laughs> just for the sake of it. Hey, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm, again, thank you so much for being on here, man. I think there's some really, really great information that people can pick up from today. And hopefully, you know what? I'll, I'll get you back on again and we'll talk more about martial arts and breaching and uh, having a blast of a time, I tell you. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thank you again. I'll talk to you soon. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I really appreciate y'all listening. It has been my pleasure bringing you this awesome guest. If you like what you heard, please like, share, subscribe, and do all that awesome stuff. And I hope you can use some of the information that was offered. To all those putting on the line every day, first responders, military, veterans, civil servants, you guys are keeping us safe and keeping the country running. I really appreciate y'all. Hope to see you next time. Till then, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. She won't.